I can remember as a child being afraid of the dark. Anyone else have this fear? I mean, this is common fear that we are afraid of the dark. And really, to be honest, I'm not really super excited to be in a pitch black dark room still today. In fact, if most of us were in that room, we would pull out our phones, put on the little flashlight, because we want to have light. We want to see what's in that room. But I can remember, you know, I, I lived a little bit more uh, in a rural area. It's since built up a little bit there, a dirt road, and there's not many neighbors, and uh, lots of trees, forests, and uh, having to go out at dark to take the trash out, which means I had to take it out and throw it into the bin that we collected because the trash didn't come down and collect it. We had to take it to the dump. But he still had to go outside where it was dark. I know, or you even have to go to the mailbox, which is across the street, which you know, you know, like all the things that are across the street that could get you. So you had to run across the street, come back in the dark. Uh, those were not things that I liked to do. It's common fear, though, isn't it, with kids? We have a whole industry of nightlights to have this. I, and I think my kids are scared of the dark in the daytime as well, because every light in the house has to be on in this room. And I don't know why I'm so compelled to have them off because, you know, with LED lights, it's not that expensive anymore. Just breathe a little bit. But yet I feel this compulsion to turn off all the lights during the day. But it's not the darkness we fear, is it? It's what might be in the darkness. It's the monsters. It's the bad guys. And all other sorts of things that our imaginations can conjure up and fear that we think that are in the dark. Somehow, if the darkness wasn't there, we'd be able to defeat all those monsters and the different things that we imagine. And we can handle it if there was light. Often misquoted to Plato, but is more likely a Roman philosopher, this says, is, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Fearing the light. This is the tragedy of our world. Fearing the one that provides illumination to the reality of our brokenness, to the reality of the injustices in this world, and the reality to the brokenness and injustices in our own heart. This is what the Sanhedrin in this passage, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they feared the light of the world that would expose their hypocrisy, their brokenness, and their cruelty. What are you afraid that Jesus is going to expose in you? If Jesus is the light of the world, what are you afraid that he actually might expose to you and to everyone else about yourself? So to hear the context of this passage, a reminder, because it's been a while since we've been in John. I don't know how that happened. But it was, you remember last time we talked about John, was, was, it was the woman caught in adultery, that beginning in Romans 8, and I told you, hey, I'm not quite sure that that actually is in Scripture. Uh, it's a quite later edition, but there's lots of things that uh, point to how that's the truth of that Scripture. But here's my point. So if, if we take this passage, Romans 8, 12, and we go back to 752, there's a good connection between those two. 
And in the same, it's the same context in which Jesus is preaching and te- teaching. So remember, Jesus in that point was in the temple, and it was the festival of the booths, the, of the tabernacle, right? So uh, where there, it's a huge, one of the huge Jewish festivals, eight-day festival, where they all gathered, and gathering of the harvest, the celebration of the harvest, and gathering when they were in the wilderness, and, and they had to set up booths, God's provision, it's a big deal. And so people would flock to Jerusalem, to the, the temple, to celebrate this. And, and it was a big deal. And we can remember when I talked about, me, this was a couple months ago now, that one of the, they would have offerings. And one of the last days they had a water offering and they would pour water out onto the, onto the um, altar themselves. And so, and in that point, Jesus actually said, as it, perhaps as he was pouring out, but in the context of this, he says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow river, rivers of living water. In the, in the context of all this, of this, these celebrations, of this important offering, Jesus kind of hints, listen, you think that's the water that should be offered? I am the living water. And if, my water, if I give you my water, if I give you my spirit, it will live within you. I will live within you. It's a big festival. The, the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish oral traditions, that are kind of taking oral traditions and writing them down, really helpful book of understanding historical contexts, practices of the time. It describes the ceremony of those nights. And this is what they said. Well, this is kind of a direct quote. He who has not seen the joy of the place of the water drawing has never seen his life seen joy. Like a huge celebration and this extravagant claims of, of the description that uh, when they were doing this, it was at nighttime, it was at evening. And so they lit these giant four big lanterns in this, the dental uh, court of the women in the temple, which is kind of an interior court where the um, women could go into. There's a court of the Gentiles, which is the larger court. Then you go into the court of the uh, women, where women could actually access Jewish women. And then you go into more of the holy place, and then the holy of holies. It's kind of smaller and smaller places. But here they are in the court, in the treasury, which is in the court of the woman. And these huge lanterns get lit up at night. I mean, it's this big festival. And so but and then everyone begins to dance. Men of piety began to let loose and dance and celebrate themselves, burning torches in the night, singing songs of praise to their Lord for what He has provided for them. Every night, they would have this kind of a feast and festival within the temple area, and people would say that you could actually see it—the glow of the temple surrounding Jerusalem and the other area. Now you can imagine that's pretty. You could, that could happen because you can see the glow of this city drowning out the stars with all our electric lights. And so not having much light when you put on all these lights in this area, that this kind of glow emanating from this temple around to this area, drawing people in to this celebration. This is the context of the passage which we're reading today. And so in the midst of this celebration and this dancing and these offerings and these lights and these torches, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, I am the light in this world of darkness. I am the light 
that is guiding you right now. That illumines the darkness and reveals hope. It reveals the good, the bad, and the ugly in this world. This is the second statement in John of one of these I am statements. And, you know, in English, it's just this I am. But in, in, the, in the Greek here, it's really kind of a weird construction, these I am statements. It's uh, unnecessarily duplicated. I am, I am, which is a direct connection. I mean, this is not the way you would talk. It's not the way you would write. It's not how you would speak in Greek. But it's a connection into that revelation of when Moses first encounters God and ask him his name, and God says, I am who I am, or I am the great I am, or I am I am. And here Jesus is using that same kind of terminology to kind of say, I am God. I am the God that is the light of the world. I am divine. There's a clear reference. It's a little heavy-handed as well. In John 1, 4, Jesus, in this prologue of John, says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is our light, and he is our life. This, this imagery of light is often used in the Old Testament. It is not a, a new kind of imagery that John brings up, but it's one that is... Uh, infiltrated throughout the Old Testament, that light as salvation, light as joy, light as God, are all themes that would have been familiar to everyone that Jesus is speaking to, everyone in the temple. It would have been familiar to them because they would have been taught to sing about light. In the Psalms, we have just a few examples, Psalms, which are songs, which would have been sung. Psalm 27, 1, I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't know the tune, but here it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Habakkuk 3, 3 through 4. Habakkuk is a, right, if you remember Habakkuk a little bit, there's a, a real conversation that Habakkuk has with God, a real struggles that he has. And earlier in Habakkuk, he really confronts God. Like, where are you? Why have you not responds? And then we get the, at the end a, a praise of God. And here it is. is God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splint, this is actually a song in Habakkuk as well too. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. God is this, this one that light and lightning and power comes from. He is the salvation worthy of grace. Or even the context of God bringing light to the whole world, not just to his children but to the whole world, even to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 49.6, it is too light. Light here is lightness, like weight. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back and preserve the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And he's saying, I will make you, Israel, my children, a light to all people of the earth. 
and mostly, right, the actual liturgy of the night of the temple in the Feast of the Tabernacles in Zechariah. Hear this prophecy clearly. Zechariah 14, 5 through 7. In this context, in this prophecy, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He said, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azul, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. Hallelujah. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. So here's, here's the prophecy. This is a prophecy. Like, well, what is he prophesying? It's, it could be a prophecy of when uh, Jesus uh, initiates the kingdom of God, which he's done now, or it could be a prophecy of when he, he will come again and for our context that we get to see. But here's what he's saying. He says, in the midst of, of days and nights and all these kinds of things, this is not an ordinary day that's going to come. It is a new day where there is neither day or night, but it, it is all night. And what shines... What gives light to this day is God and only God. And then you can think about in Revelation that that there is no more sun, but that God illuminates all things. This kind of imagery, that this is a unique time where God is the light of all things. A permanent light. In this context of this litany that would have been spoken in this Feast of the Tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Gospel of John gives us a clear view view that Jesus is the dawning of this light. The dawning of this salvation. And John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil this is the judgment that john has to say this is the judgment that jesus has to say in john that the world loves darkness and that he is the light that shines into this darkness we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark the real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. The tragedy and the existence of the world that we live in is not that we are in darkness, but that we love the darkness and we fear the light. We love our sin and we hate God. I know none of you would say you would hate God, but at times your actions quite clearly say it. We love ourselves, and we hate Jesus. This is the tragedy of the world. In John 8, 13, So the Pharisees said to Jesus in the midst of him, saying, in the context of all this festival, in the context of this reading, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. The Pharisees are rejecting the claim of Jesus' divinity. They know what he's saying. 
Everyone knows what he's saying. It is clear as day in the context and the words that he was doing, how he's expressing it, what he's claiming and who he's claiming to be. If you go back to John 5.31, Jesus uses the same argument about uh, two people giving testimony that the Father and him are testifying to who he is. And so they're almost using the same kind of context. Like, listen, you made this argument before, but they're not understanding his argument from before. The rally is, is the Old Testament required two witnesses in a capital or criminal case. So if you're going to convict someone in a capital or criminal case, you would actually need two people to testify, and their testimony would have to agree, which seems like a reasonable thing. You're not going to you know, kill someone for offense based on what one person says. You're like, let's collaborate this and make sure this is true. That's in a capital or criminal case. This is not a capital or criminal case. This is just one person saying who he is, and they're saying, hey, you need two witnesses for this. They dismiss Jesus' claim because he can't testify alone about himself. That's fine. But they also up it up and they become the jury and declare, you are false. You can't testify about yourself and your testimony is wrong. You are not who you say you're being. Here's the thing, what's happening with the Pharisees and these people that are confronting Jesus. They hear it clearly who he says he is. They know some of the works that he has done and they declare it false. They don't even have a reasonable, not even a trial, because you wouldn't put someone on trial for this, but a reasonable investigation. Is what he says true? They're not curious at all. They're not curious as to who Jesus is and who he says he is. They don't want to investigate it at all. It would be fair to say, listen, Jesus, we need more evidence. This is a really bold claim. I think you need to tone it down a little bit. Let's actually see if you are who you say you are. If you are God. Let's go see if there's other people that could testify to this. If there's works in your life. But they don't even consider it. They are not curious. They are living in the darkness, and they prefer that darkness over the light. So Jesus responds to them in verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. It's not that Jesus doesn't judge no one. He's saying, I don't judge people the way you judge people. I don't judge according to the world, according to the flesh. I judge people differently. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is it written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about myself. Jesus is clearly saying, what I'm saying is true. You can't declare it as false. You don't get to determine if it's false. Whether or not if I have another witness or not, it is still true. It's much like saying, perhaps to your spouse or to a friend, you don't actually feel that way. Or you should feel this way. Or that's not 
true about yourself. When someone says something about themselves, you ought to take it initially at face value and say, no, that's not true about you. I mean, there's lots of things how we know things about people, but your initial response when someone says something about himself, Jesus is saying something about himself, which is really outlandish. Granted, if one of you said you were God, I would have a conversation with you. We would talk a little bit more about this. But my first response wouldn't necessarily be, that's not true. I would want to have a discussion. Why do you think this is true? Jesus is saying, you are in the dark. You don't know where I came from. You think you know where I come from. But what he's saying in, in, the, in verse 21, actually, it's clear that he says, I come from heaven. You don't know where I come from. And you don't know where I'm going to, which is heaven. You judge according to this world of darkness. And I judge according to the light. Not according to the world. God the Father also bears witness. He makes it clear. It's not just me that bears witness. It's God the Father also bears witness to me. And they continue to say in verse 19, 20, they say to him, therefore, where is your father? You see what they're thinking about. They know who Jesus is. They actually know his father. This is actually a kind of a cruel statement because they know Jesus' father is Joseph. And presumably, they know that Joseph is actually dead at this moment. Imagine you going up to someone. You know their human father is dead. Where is your father? You say your father. That's this kind of cruel statement. Where is Joseph? You say Joseph testifies about you. They're not understanding him. Deal. Jesus answers them, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because the hour had not yet come. You see, they're looking for other witnesses. They're looking, where is your father? Let's hear your father testify about this. And Jesus makes it quite clear, you don't know my father. And of course, he's referring to God the father. You don't know him at all. You don't understand him. You don't get his way. You live in the darkness. Makes it quite clear earlier on in John. Here's my encouragement for you today. I think here's our encouragement in the text today. The first one I think is quite clear. Be curious. Be curious in life. Jesse and I have been watching a, a lot of shows on PBS. And we have the PBS app, and so uh, they, you know, it's they have these little commercials before the show. Uh, you can ask us what shows we've been watching on PBS. But they have these little commercials, and they kind of repeat over and over again. So they kind of just ingrain into your mind after you start every show. And so one of the most recent one is on Viking cruise, right? These Viking cruise ships, which is kind of these uh, more European kind of uh, cruise ships. And it's so the founder of Viking Cruise, and he he talks about him growing up. Uh, where does he grow up? Sweden, Finland, Norway, somewhere, somewhere Scandinavian that he grows up uh, in. Um, and so he talks about what his parents taught him. His parents taught him to be kind and be honest and, and be hardworking. Like, oh, this is, this is great. This is very inspiring. And then he talks about how he starts his company, how he adds a fourth to this, these principles in his life and to his company. Be curious. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's like, this has been ingrained in my mind. Be curious. In a sense, have an open heart. 
and be curious. You see, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, when Jesus proclaims clearly who he is, they are not curious at all. There's nothing in them that even speculate at all or to investigate these claims at all. They just shut it down. They are not curious about Jesus and his far-fetched and outlandish claims as who he is. They're not curious about who he is at all. I think the text is quite clearly saying to us, be curious about Jesus. When you, when you hear these things in the gospel, the words of Jesus, you ought to be curious because they are incredible things that he's saying about himself, about the reality of the world. And maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're, you're here or here online and you, and you don't know Jesus. My encouragement to you today is be curious about his claims. Stay curious and investigate. Listen and learn to who Jesus clearly proclaims who he is, who he reveals himself to be. This is, this is my story. When I was in high school, I heard the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. I didn't believe right there, but God put in my heart to be curious. Who is this crazy man who would love this awful person? Be curious to who Jesus is. Maybe you're just beginning on your journey with Jesus. What I would encourage you to do is stay curious. Dive into his word over and over and who he claims to be and ask questions. God is never afraid of any of your questions. Ask questions. Be curious. Ask questions of the test text. Ask questions of his word. Ask questions to God himself. Be curious about who Jesus is. And maybe you've been on this journey for a long time. You've known Jesus for a long time. What I would say is don't lose your curiosity about Jesus. Don't think you know everything about him. You do not. You do not. Your lifetime is not long enough to know everything about Jesus. Stay curious about who he is, and he will reveal himself more and more to you. And in your curiosity, being curious, I would say, the other thing this text is clear saying is follow this light. Follow the light. Don't just listen and learn from Jesus. Follow him. Being a, a disciple or a student of someone isn't just listening and acquiring knowledge in your mind, but it actually, for, particularly for rabbis of this age, Jesus doesn't say, hey, just listen and learn. He says, follow me. Do what I do. Be who I am. Not that be God, but be in his character of who you are. So when, you, when you're staying curious about who Jesus is, actually, think, who is this person and how does he live his life? Because the bottom line is that God is transforming us. God's plan is not for you to stay who you are, but he's transforming to make you more mature in him. Follow him. Follow this light in this dark world. Follow this light that is illuminating in this dark heart of yours. And follow him. Stay curious and follow him. In this light, you will find 
true life. We can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. But the real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. The tragedy of the Pharisee and so many people around us is that they're afraid of the light. They're afraid of Jesus and they lack curiosity into who he is. They're afraid of his truth. I told you that this context of Jesus is in the, in the, uh, the court of the uh, women, and he's actually, that's where the treasury is, is in this court of women in, the, in this temple. You can see it there, this kind of exterior temple right in the middle. And so we don't know exactly, but we know the treasury is in the court of women. We're not sure exactly how it's positioned in this uh, court, but there's 13 boxes of that are shaped, and they have this kind of um, the shofar, which is the horn, uh, horns of a, of a ram, and uh, this hollowed out, and that's actually how you put the money in the, in the treasury. And there's 13 different uh, boxes with the shofar sticking out, and it was for offering to the poor. Different, different boxes were different things, how you actually take care of people's needs in different ways. And so you would give gener- generously in this court of women. This is why the treasury was in the court of women, so women could actually access it as well, too. And so this is where this kind of offering for the poor and for basic needs, and each one was labeled in this way. And this is the context. This is the play where all the lights are illuminated, and this litany is being proclaimed, and Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And this, right, in this context of this incredible place where the people are being incredibly generous because they love God. This is the irony in the midst of all this, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And since I am the gift to all of you in this generosity, they are unable to see because of their darkness, the greatest gift that God is ever going to give them is standing right there because of the darkness of their heart, because of their lack of curiosity, People fail to recognize that he is the light of the world. Jesus is the light in our darkness. But he's not just your light. He's not just my light. He's your family's light. He's your neighbor's light. He's even your enemy's light. Whoever they be. He is the light of of the world. You have the, this is my mind, this other commercial of, uh, uh, this beer commercial, it's appropriate as it's Sunday and we're going to have watched, some of us going to watch football and there's lots of beer commercials. Uh, and Dos Exes, Dos Exes, is that how you pronounce that beer? Yeah, and I think, uh, Dos Exes, I think it's Exes is how you actually pronounce it, but you could, cur- huh? pronounce because it actually means two x's that's what i know about it right so this beer but you know this you know this uh, uh, this tagline that they have right? stay thirsty my friend right this this is what i want to say to you today stay curious my friends stay curious and follow jesus he is the light of the world and he's creating in us because he is with us. Later on, this next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is actually always present with us. That this light 
is always present in us. And he's illuminating our hearts because he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's lighting us to be the light of the world. Because he is with us. Matthew 5, 14 says it quite clear. You are the light of the world. Why are we the light of the world? Because he is the light of the world that resides in us. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So as you stay curious, do not keep Jesus hidden from others. Do not keep him hidden from your family. Do not keep him hidden from your neighbor. Do not keep him hidden from your community or your enemies. Don't keep hidden who Jesus is. And don't keep hidden what Jesus is doing. Particularly what he's doing for you. You could be very clear to people. This is what Jesus is doing for me. This is what he's done for me. Sometimes our, our personal darkness is a barrier for us to follow Jesus. Because we're afraid of the light and we're afraid of what people will know about us. And afraid what actually he's doing for us. And friend, that's who you were. And this is who you're being. Jesus will expose the darkness in your life. This is a fact. If you are curious about him, he will expose the darkness in your life. Jesus isn't afraid of that darkness. Why should you be afraid of that darkness? Jesus isn't scared out about your sin and your depravity. Do not be scared of that as well. Do not let be scared that other people may know it as well. He's the only one we probably wouldn't want to know. And yet he knows it. And he is not fearful. In fact, he wants to bring it to light. Let the world know who Jesus is. Let that light shine. Let the know the world know what Jesus has done. Let that light shine clearly. Let the world know what Jesus is doing in you. Stay curious and follow the light. Stay curious and follow Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Father, loving Lord, ever-present Spirit, I thank you in this world of darkness and in this heart of darkness in which we all have that you are the light, that you are not afraid. Lord, help us not to be afraid of your light. Help our neighbors, our family, our friends, our our enemies. Help this world not be afraid of the light that reveals truth and life. Help us be curious. Help us to pursue you. Help us to know that you are ever-present and you are working for us and through us and in us. Help us to follow you. Help this light to continue to expose and transform our hearts and transform our world. And that there will be a unique day 
where there will be no other artificial light, no other natural light, but you will be the light that reveals all things and illuminates all things, and there will be no darkness. Praise be to you, Lord. We give you thanks. And all God's people said, Amen.